Jnana Timirandhasya Jnana Jnana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Jnana Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Mukankaroti Vachalam Pangum Lankaya Tegirim Jatkripa Tamaham Bande Shri Gurun Dinataranam Shri Chaitanya Manobhishtam Stapitam Jnana Putale Swayam Rupakadamayam Dadati Svapadantikam Pancha kalpa tarubhyastra kapa sindhobhya evacha patitanam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namah. Oh, Hare Krishna. Um, I would apologize for last week, but it's too embarrassing, so... I just hope everyone will have forgiven me by now. Um, so uh, today I want to discuss um, a little bit from chapter five of the Bhagavad Gita. And I want to focus on what we see, um, especially in the first 13 uh, verses today. Um, and there are probably a couple of themes that I'm likely to hit, uh, to, uh, hit on. To um, focus on. Um, well, one broad theme, I think, and that is, um, that is the attitude. I mean, we see that um, in Krishna's um, instructions to Arjuna here at the beginning of the fifth chapter, um, and also at the end of the fourth chapter. I mean, it, as, as uh, uh, Tripurari Maharaj points out um, at the um, end of the second chapter, Krishna summarizes uh, summarizes that state of samadhi that he's uh, um, encouraging um, Arjuna to actually live in. Um, <coughs> and then in the third uh, chapter, he argues um, that Arjuna should do his duty um, on the basis of the importance of sacrifice. He talks a lot about sacrifice and um, Srila Prabhupada ultimately, uh, because there, there's some discussion of uh, foodstuffs in, in, in the discussion of sacrifice, Srila Prabhupada says ultimately that means um, we should offer um, our food uh, to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. We should actually only eat remnants of those of foods that have been offered to the Lord. And, and in the fourth chapter, he, he uh, goes a little deeper, I think, um, by bringing uh, transcendental knowledge into the picture. And he tells Arjuna uh, you know, that you should cultivate the kind of knowledge that will, um, you know, that will help you uh, live in this state of samadhi that I described earlier. And then in the fifth, fifth chapter, um, he begins by clarifying just what he means, uh, what, seem, what might seem a little equivocal uh, at the end of, of the fourth chapter. So we'll take, we'll take a look at that in a few minutes. But first, I want to um, review these um, verses at the end of uh, chapter two uh, that describe uh, samadhi. Um, so I'll start, this is starting with text 55. The Lord of Sri said, O Partha, one who having renounced all desires born of the mind, is satisfied in the self and by the self, is said to be one whose insight is steady. Amid suffering and happiness, his mind is neither deluded nor delighted. He who is free from desire and whose passion, fear, and anger have subsided is said to be a stage of steady, steady mind. One who's free from all material affection, who upon attaining that which is pleasant or unpleasant, neither praises nor disapproves, stands firm in wisdom. One embodied may fast from feeding the senses, turning away from their objects, but the taste for the objects remains. However, one who does the same in the course of experiencing a higher taste 
uh, derived from seeing God, loses the very taste for sense objects as well. These are themes that we see throughout the Bhagavad Gita, and we see them throughout Srimad Bhagavatam um, as well. Um, Anyway, I'll keep moving. Oh, son of Kunti, the senses are so strong. Did I skip one? Yes, I did. Oh, we, so we see this um, freedom from material affection. Um, we want to be, uh, yoga sutras tell us that yoga means stilling the um, agitation um, of the Chitta, the internal um, body, the antakarana, by um, withdrawing the senses and fixing them um, on the Lord ultimately. Um, but um, we should uh, we we learn from the Gita and from the Bhagavatam that we should neither uh, lament on attaining something not so much to our liking, nor get uh, too carried away by joy um, if something happens to work out right. Uh, these things are all coming and going. And as I sometimes point out, Krishna summarizes our whole material experience um, throughout, maybe God only knows many how many lifetimes, um, in two words in the Gita, dhukalayam masashvatam. Um, there's suffering and, um, and it's temporary. So in a sense, there's some consolation there built in because even the suffering is temporary, but we also should know, um, always keep in mind that whatever um, pleasure we're experiencing is also fleeting. Um, it's gone in uh, the blink of an eye. So um, Krishna is admonishing uh, Arjuna here uh, to, um, to actually become fixed in mind, not um, to be chasing the mind all over the place. And when he completely withdraws his senses from his objects, as a tortoise withdraws uh, its limbs within its shell, his wisdom stands firm. When a body made fat, may fast from feeding the senses, sorry, turning away from their objects, but the taste for those objects remains. However, one who does the same in the course of experiencing a higher taste derived from seeing God loses the very taste for sense objects as well. And we see that especially throughout the Bhagavatam. Um, one example, of course, is Dhruva Maharaj. Uh, Dhruva Maharaj had a big material desire. Um, he wanted a kingdom greater than his great-grandfather's. Great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather? can't remember which right now. Uh, maybe great-great-grandfather, Lord Brahma, which is the whole universe. Um, but Dhruva being childish, um, wanted something more. So he approached the Lord with his big material desire in mind. But what he got instead, uh, by the Lord's grace, is direct vision of the Lord, direct um, perception of the Lord, which is um, what we hope to attain when we engage in Bhakti Yoga. And Dhruva was um, certainly engaged in bhakti yoga. He had been instructed by Narada Muni and um, he engaged in austerities, which culminated in his taking a breath every other day, I think, and um, chanting uh, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya and meditating on this beautiful form of the Lord that Narada Muni described to him. And we see such descriptions also throughout the Bhagavatam uh, of the form of the Lord that we might meditate on. Um, and there's also a description in the 11th canto when the Lord's describing uh, the yoga process and the whole, um, but, but Dhruva's experience was that um, on attaining darshan of the Lord, um, whatever it is he wanted evaporated. So in the Bhagavatam, Dhruva says, when he sees the Lord, he offers prayers 
and it, uh, early in the prayers, he says, um, I'm like a poor man who uh, on, a, on approaching the king could have asked for anything, could have asked for half the kingdom, but instead asked for a bag of rice. And I, in, I think, well, I can't remember which text now, but in another text that we see um, cited in Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, which Srila Prabhupada cited more than the Bhagavatam verse, says, I was, uh, it's as if I was looking for pieces of broken glass and I found uh, the most valuable gem. So we see this throughout um, the, the uh, Bhagavatam and um, in the, 11, uh, in the 11th canto, early in the 11th canto, one of the Navyogendras, I think Kavi or Hubby, uh, tells King Nimi um, just how we can measure whether or not we're making, um, uh, whether we can have some sense at least, whether we're making progress in, 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 bhak, in our bhakti. Uh, he says, bhakti pareshano bhavo viraktira nyatra chaisha Anyway, there we go. This is a verse I thought I used to know. Um, three things happen simultaneously and progressively um, as we engage in bhakti. That bhakti, that um, service um, sense, that service attitude. Bhakti padeshano bhavo, some direct experience of the Lord. Um, and um, uh, consequently, uh, becoming detached from everything else. Uh, when we get bhakti, when we have some direct experience of the Lord, and everything else pales by comparison. Uh, at, at, at the best, <laughs> pales by comparison. They practically disappear by comparison uh, with um, uh, serving the Lord. Dardamuni tells uh, uh, Vyasadeva in the first canto that even if you, even if we engage in our Varnashram duties perfectly, the benefits that we get from them are temporary. Whereas we don't have to engage in bhakti perfectly. We don't have to, we don't have to uh, get it all right, right off the bat. Because nothing's ever going to be lost. Krishna gives that assurance in the Gita, and we see that same assurance throughout the Bhagavatam. So, um, uh, so the, the sage tells King Nimi, no, so Narada Muni tells Vyasadeva um, that uh, even if someone um, gives up their practice, even if they seem to fall by the wayside um, for one reason or another, Still, there isn't anything lost because they're always going to be remembering that taste they got uh, by serving the lotus feet of the Lord. Rasagraha is the word that's used in that verse. And Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur tells us, Rasagraha means haunted. Graha means ha haunted. As if by a ghost we can't shake. So when we have that experience, then... Um, the hankering for other things, other uh, much less significant things um, uh, naturally decreases. And the sage compares this to eating a meal. How do we know if we're eating a meal? Well, three things happen simultaneously and progressively as we eat. Tushti, pushti, kshudapaya. Pleasure, nourishment, and consequently, relief. Um, from hunger. So these three things happen naturally as we eat. And so the other three things, the bhakti, pareshano, bhava, virakti, anyatracha, those things also happen progressively as we engage in our, bha in, in our bhakti. And uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur tells us in his commentary on the first canto verse, uh, where Vyasadeva, this is 1519, uh, where Vyasadeva assure, I mean, uh, Narada Muni assures Vyasadeva that um, that even if someone falls away from their practice, they'll always uh, remember the lotus feet of the Lord, and they'll always come back. And uh, in his commentary, Vishwanath Chakravarti Chakra says, you know, well, maybe if we say Rasagraha, it sounds like something really advanced, like at least Asakti or Bhava, 
But he says, no, actually, this begins from the very first day of worshiping the Lord. And he cites this 11th canto verse as his support. And um, in his commentary on that, uh, that 11th canto verse, he says that, oh, he points out where the analogy breaks down. And that is uh, that you can't keep eating forever. You can't just eat constantly more and more. At a certain uh, point, you're going to become satiated. You're going to become full and, and, and lose interest in eating. Says, but that doesn't happen when we engage in bhakti. Um, when we engage in bhakti, we get um, more and more taste. And so we can always eat. So he points out that, that there where the analogy breaks down. Uh, Krishna continues at the end of the second chapter. Um, Restraining the senses and disciplining oneself, one should sit fixing one's consciousness on me. Such a person is known to be steady in wisdom. When one contemplates the sense objects, attachment for them is born. From attachment, desire is born. From desire, frustration. And from frustration, delusion. When one is deluded, memory is lost. With the loss of memory, power of discrimination is destroyed. With the destruction of discrimination, one's own self is lost. However, even while moving among sense objects, the self-controlled one who is free from attachment and aversion, bringing his self under the jurisdiction of God, attains God's grace. For the pure-minded, all suffering ceases. Without a doubt, uh, he who has attained purity of mind soon develops steadfast intelligence. Unless one is disciplined in yoga, one cannot have clear intelligence. Unless one is so disciplined, one cannot engage in meditation. Without meditation, there's no peace. And how can uh, one have happiness without peace? Whichever of the roving senses uh, the mind runs after, that sense carries away one's intelligence, just as the wind carries away a ship on the ocean, a ship on water. Therefore, a mighty armed one who completely withdraws his senses from sense objects is fixed in wisdom. That which is night for all sentient beings is like day for one whose senses are controlled. That which is the time of awakening for a sentient being is night for the introspective, introspective sage who sees. As the ocean remains still, even while rivers enter into it, he who remains unmoved in spite of all desires attains peace, not who strives to fulfill such desires. We see in um, Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, uh, Krishna Bhakti Nishkama Ataiva Shanta, Bhukti Mukti Siddhi Kama Sakaliya Shanta, that those who uh, maintain uh, a desire, who pursue uh, Bhukti Mukti Siddhi, uh, the uh, enjoyment of the senses, uh, the yogic Siddhis, um, or even um, liberation, because as the Bhagavatam rejects these all as selfish desires, they're all cheating of dharma. So um, uh, one who uh, is a Krishna bhakta doesn't, he's not uh, worried about these things. He's not always chasing after um, pleasure um, or some kind of uh, perfection, yogic perfection or, um, or, or even liberation. So um, they're, they're peaceful. Their, their chitta is settled. Their intelligence um, is clear. A person who has abandoned all desires for sense indulgence acts free from desire, indifferent to proprietorship and free from egotism, he attains peace. O Partha, having attained this divine state, one is not deluded. If one is fixed in this consciousness, even at the moment of death, one attains Brahman and the cessation of all suffering. So then we see at the end of the fourth chapter, um, Krishna is uh, uh, telling uh, Arjuna again, um, you should try to be um, peaceful. You should try to acquire transcendental knowledge um, by inquiring from those who have it um, and um, serving them. And um, you should be fixed um, in this knowledge and, and, and peaceful. So he says, ha, uh, 
one who's renounced action through yoga and whose doubt is cut asunder by knowledge and thus is and is thus composed in his self, O Dhananjaya, is not bound by karma. Therefore, having cut away with the sword of knowledge your doubt arising from ignorance that lurks in your heart, take refuge in yoga and stand for battle. Now, what an interesting sentence. Take refuge in yoga and stand for battle. So uh, Tripurari Maharaj points out that this sounds like a contradiction, but Krishna is actually not contradicting himself. So we begin uh, the fifth chapter with Arjuna questioning him about this apparently equivocal um, instruction. Uh, oh, Krishna, on the one hand, you advocate renunciation of action, and on the other, you advocate yoga. Tell me with certainty which of the two is better. The Lord said, both renunciation of action and selfless action lead to ultimate happiness. However, of the two, selfish action is better than the renunciation of action. A person who's freed from both hatred and desire is always renounced. Being indifferent to dualities, almighty armed, he's easily freed from bondage and attains liberation. Um, childish persons, not the learned, declare that contemplative life and selfless action are separate. One who practices either of these correctly achieves the same result. So here Krishna is telling us that these aren't really two um, completely discrete paths, completely distinct paths. Um, instead, because uh, the ultimate attainment is the same, they're really the same. And for many people, he's saying that selfless, selfless action is going to be better because who can really renounce, who can really become detached um, from material pursuits, um, especially if they haven't yet, um, especially if they haven't yet attained spiritual realization. Um, if we haven't attained spiritual realization, then the, the um, objects uh, of sense desire are always going to be calling. And we'll hear those call and we have to work hard to ignore them. And that's, so that's the business of the yogi to train the mind. Uh, to train the mind um, to, become, to remain calm when external forces or even internal forces um, seem uh, to uh, to act on them. So what we what we see um, is the oneness of these uh, of these apparently different endeavors, but that uh, uh, Krishna is asserting that one is more um, appropriate. Uh, this renunciation is appropriate for people who actually have some spiritual attainment. Um, but that um, other people um, are actually better served by engaging in selfless action. Um, because if, if, we if we don't have uh, control over our senses, then, um, well, then we're always going to be disturbed. By the, we're going to find ourselves in this um, uh, cascade um, of desire. That, uh, that we saw described back in the second chapter when contemplating um, sense objects, then we end up losing um, our very self, um, even if it happens in stages. So um, Krishna is telling Arjuna, he says, someone who practices either of these um, uh, paths correctly is going to achieve the same result. And he continues, that destination attained by contemplatives is also attained by the yogis. Contemplative life and karma yoga are one. One who perceives this sees things as they are. However, renunciation of action without yoga, O Arjuna, is difficult. The sage who is practiced in yoga, however, quickly attains the absolute. Engaged in yoga, one whose intelligence is purified, mind controlled, whose senses are conquered and who's thus identified with the self of all beings is not implicated even while acting. So 
what we see is that either by meditation or by selfless action, what we want to attain um, in, in order to actually uh, be happy, in order to actually be free, um, is this um, oneness with all be living beings, um, being able to sense our identity with every other living entity. In order to do that, we need to identify as Brahman, as consciousness. Um, and so that um, takes some work. So Krishna, what, one of the things that Krishna is addressing here is different kinds of eligibility. So we, we see in the first chapter, Arjuna has proposed because he can't contemplate going to war um, with, with um, those who are so close to him, those to whom he's so attached. And as we know, when he asked Arjuna, uh, when he asked Krishna, when Arjuna asked Krishna to draw the chariot up between the two armies, Krishna positioned the chariot particularly in front of um, Grandfather Bhishma and Dronacharya, to whom um, Arjuna um, was very attached, naturally. His teacher, his great uncle, who served as a grandfather, actually raised um, both sets of cousins. Um, so Arjuna's proposed that on, on the basis of a few things. One, uh, one is a, 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 a protection of society. Another is enjoyment. Um, another is, um, well, he gives uh, several reasons for, for desisting from fighting. And, and he proposes instead that it might be better for him to go to the forest and just be a yogi. So Krishna's told him, uh, uh, back at, in, in the beginning of the second chapter. Yeah, yeah, this sounds, this all sounds very dharmic, but under the circumstances in this context, it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. And you should kind of rethink your uh, position here, rethink your situation. And he's uh, telling him just how um, he should reconsider his situation. Um, so, uh, Arjuna is proposing going to the forest or going to live in a cave yoga, but Krishna is countering with yoga in the world. He's telling him this selfless action, this is also yoga, karma yoga. If, if you do it with the right attitude, if you do it with a, uh, an intention um, of serving the greater good, serving something beyond uh, your own senses, um, especially um, uh, for serving the Supreme Lord and his, the any ends that he might have, um, then that's, that's yoga as well. And you're gonna, you're gonna get the same result. You're gonna find yourself you're going to find yourself immersed in me. Just as he says in the middle of the Gita and again at the end of the Gita, says, everything should be about me. Your mind should be engaged always in thinking of me. Become my devotee. Devote your life to my service. Madhyaji, your worship should be for me. Your obeisances, your obedience, that should be um, for me. In other words, he's saying, just love me, because we know that when we love someone, we're all about whatever their needs are. Our minds are always thinking about them. Uh, uh, we want, uh, we want to do whatever they need to be done. And um, so this is love. Love means action. Srila Prabhupada consistently uh, uh, translates the word bhakti as devotional service. Uh, and uh, we know that that's um, proper because 
uh, we see the definition of bhakti, uttama bhakti, um, shuddha bhakti, pure devotional service at the beginning of the bhakti rasamrita sindhu, anyabhilashita shunyam, jnana karma dhyanavritam. So there's your tatasta lakshana, your uh, marginal uh, part of the definition, which is basically what it's not. You know, it means having, having given up um, the pursuit of jnana karma adi, everything else. And um, so bhakti means real bhakti, pure bhakti, the bhakti that we're going to talk about in the bhakti rasami to Sindhu, that means having forsaken all other goals, just as we see at the end of the Bhagavad Gita, give up all your conventional ideas of Dharma. And then um, at the in, in even, star, even starker language, the next step uh, at the beginning of the of the Bhagavatam, Dharma Projita, Dharma Projita Koitavatra Padamo Niramatsaranam Satam. That um, if you completely reject, once we've completely rejected all kinds of um, here he doesn't just call them conventional dharmas, he calls them cheating dharmas. And Krishnadas Kaviraj explains um, what we mean when we say kaitava dharma in that verse. Um, and he explains this verse in the 22nd chapter of Madhulila, the chapter in which the Lord talks about Sharanagati and the 64 angas of, of sadhana bhakti. Um, Krishnadas Kaviraj says, what do we mean by Kaitava Dharma? Dharma Arthakama Moksha Vancha. Oh, but wait, that's everything. That's all four of the Purushartas, all four of the great values of human life, the three, the four things that we're meant to try to attain as human beings. Virtue, um, attain virtue so that we can um, make material progress so that we can enjoy. And then once we've seen through the whole scam, um, become free, become liberated. So Krishnadas Kaviraj condemns all these aspirations. The Bhagavatam condemns all these aspirations as cheating religion. Why cheating religion? Why cheating Dharma? Because they're about me. It's about my virtue so that I can get ahead in the world, so I can enjoy, and then ultimately so I can become free um, from all this foolishness. Um, so, um, so this is what, what um, Krishna is ultimately advocating. Ult we see Krishna will argue as we go th move through the Gita, Krishna will argue from so many angles of vision. But ultimately where he comes is, um, just love me. How do we do that practically? Take um, exclusive shelter in me, having given up um, all other pursuits, all other senses of Dharma, completely paritya, completely rejected them, just as we see praujita at the beginning of the Bhagavatam. So what Krishna is addressing here is eligibility. He's telling Arjuna, look, you're a kshatriya, you're a warrior, you're a prince. This is your duty. This is where you're at. And you, know, you need to, uh, to behave accordingly. There's, um, there are a couple of lines in Sanskrit that are cited twice in the um, 11th canto of the Bhagavatam. Bhaktivinoda Thakur was um, quite, uh, apparently quite fond of, of this verse um, because he cited it fairly frequently. Um, so the first line, Sve Sve Dikari Yanishta Saguna Parikirtita. It means Sve Sve Dikari Yanishta, being fixed in your own situation and understanding your adhikar and behaving accordingly. Um, saguna Parikirtita. Uh, this is declared to be virtue. This is good character. And he says to do otherwise is a fault. Um, 
doing otherwise is, is just a fault. In other words, not acting according um, to where we are, not understanding where we actually are, and, uh, and, and therefore not behaving according to our actual qualification, that's a fault. So that means that could mean a couple of things. Um, one is that if we're eligible, say we're eligible for jnana, but we're still pursuing um, sense gratification, we have some understanding, some spiritual understanding, and we actually could spend our life, uh, our lives meditating, but we still go chasing after sense objects. That's a fault. And if we're eligible for bhakti, and there's one place in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu where even after having discussed the eligibility for sadhana bhakti, Rupa Goswami says, everyone is eligible for bhakti. Um, because that's uh, what we're meant for. Um, so, um, so our, our Krishna, you know, so so if we're eligible for bhakti, but we in, simply engage in jnana, cultivating jnana or meditation for some mystic perfection or for seeing the super soul or for merging with the Lord or you know by liber becoming liberated by becoming one with the Lord, um, that's also a fault. For those who are in those places, for those who really aren't eligible for jnana, they're so distracted. Um, um, by their attraction um, to sense objects, that they couldn't possibly sit down and meditate. Uh, med can't, uh, meditate the way that, that, that we're enjoined to meditate by Patanjali, by Lord Sri Krishna himself in the Bhagavad Gita. Um, one of the devotees um, whom I've um, uh, have been, uh, I have, um, three uh, newer devotees here, all um, not initiated, um, but smart, sincere, dedicated devotees giving Bhagavad Gita classes. We began at the beginning uh, of April and we're in, the, uh, we're in the second chapter of the Gita now. And um, one of the devotees who gave class, um, was, uh, I think it was last week, made the point that Nowadays, you know, we think, okay, I'm going to sit. Uh, I'm going to sit in the corner of my living room and meditate for seven minutes in the morning, and then that will enable me to conquer the world. She says, but the real, the actual yogis, they're thinking, I'm going to sit down and meditate for hours and hours a day for ten thousand years, and eventually that may help me conquer my senses and my mind. Big, big difference. So Krishna's um, advising Arjuna, this is your situation. You're a warrior. You're a prince. You're not a sage. You're not a brahmana. Um, if you try to go to the forest to meditate, it's going to be a failure. It's not going to work out well for you. And then on top of that, everybody's going to make fun of you. They're going to say bad things about you because you ran away from, from battle. They're going to say that you were afraid to fight, um, even though you know we know that's not true. This is how people are in this world. So a real virtue would be to understand where you're actually, uh, where you actually are, and behaving um, accordingly. So, and then um, as bhaktas. Of course, Vishwanath Chakravarti Chakra makes a couple of in interesting points. Um, here's, he says, one thing is not to see, um, not to see um, uh, faults in devotees and to be um, very uh, careful about finding out the um, uh, good qualities of the devotees and, and broadcasting those. Um, but then he also says that we should, uh, we should understand um, that 
karma and jnana, they don't give their own results. So we can see the fault in the practice of a jnani if they don't um, bring in some bhakti, because without bhakti, there's no success in yoga, and there's no success in meditation. And there's, uh, and there's not even success um, in, in uh, material, you know, uh, increasing material pleasure. Just, you know, just doesn't happen. Um, there has to be some devotion. I mean, there has to be at least enough devotion, maybe not pure, it's certainly not going to be pure bhakti, um, because uh, we're, at, you know, admonished as much as possible um, to background those, you know, all the desires that might get in the way of the bhakti. But we want to, we want to understand what's favorable for, for bhakti and, and what's not. And that's what we see as we um, move through the fifth chapter here. But, so here Krishna is telling Arjuna, here's the thing. You're not a sage. You're not a yogi. You're not even a brahmana. You're a prince. And here we have a big political problem. And the prince's job is to solve political problems. And when it comes to a head like this, when it's completely you know, when it's proven completely impossible to resolve reasonably, and, and goodness knows, great efforts were made um, to resolve this particular political problem. When that's not possible, then the Chaturya, you know, the Chaturya has to protect um, his praja, those who uh, uh, depend on him from harm. Chatrayate means um, stopping harm, right? So, um, Krishna is, you know, on one level at least, reminding Arjuna, this is where you're at, and this is one way to look at this. That you'll actually attain perfection. If, if you bring the right attitude, this attitude of detachment, and we're going to see that um, a little more um, in, in subsequent verses, if you bring that attitude of detachment to your action, there isn't any um, sin incurred. If it's dedicated um, for a higher cause, especially for the ultimate cause, me, um, then um, there, is, there should be no problem. So then uh, Krishna continues, however, renunciation of action without yoga is difficult. The sage who's practiced in yoga quickly attains the, the absolute. Engaged in yoga, one whose intelligence is purified, whose mind is controlled, whose senses are conquered, and who's thus identified with the self of all beings is not implicated even when acting. <clears throat> so if we understand ourselves as consciousness and as consciousness identical, uh, substantively anyway, uh, with every other entity. We see everything in Krishna and Krishna in everything. Then, um, then we don't become implicated um, by those activities. A person who is steadfast in yoga and who knows things as they are should think, I am not doing anything, even while I'm um, seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, eating, walking, sleeping, breathing, talking, evacuating, Accepting, accepting things, blinking my eyes. Rather, it is the senses alone that are acting in relation to these objects. So Tripararmash points out that this uh, verse builds on uh, verse 28 in chapter three, which we can take a quick look at. About it. Tattva vittu mahabaho gunakarma vipagayo gunaguneshu vartamta itimatvas nasadjate. However, almighty armed one, one who knows the truth concerning the two spheres, action and the gunas, and thus thinks that only the gunas interact with, another, with one another remains unattached. So Krishna is pointing out in that verse, uh, in the third chapter, that if we actually see things as they are, we can remain detached from our action. We can do what needs to be done without attachment for the results. It's not about me. I'm doing this for the, the object of my mercy or 
perhaps the object of my duty, or even better, the object of my love, um, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. <clears throat> so, um, so this, you know, this builds on this. We see that it's not the, um, it's not the activity per se that defines, um, that defines um, the, uh, the actor, but it's the consciousness that the actor brings to that. Um, just as we see in Sri Chaitanya Bhagavata, uh, Krishna is Bhavagrahi Janardhan, right? It's the intention, the attitude that we bring to the activity that defines the quality of that activity and um, defines the, the actor as well. So, um, oh gosh, what was I just, just saying? Um, trying to remember what verse I was just um, thinking of. So, um, oh, so in, in Sri Chaitanya Bhagavat, um, there's a verse that says, so a foolish person may say Om Vishnaya Namaha when he means to say Om Vishnave Namaha. It doesn't matter because Krishna is Bhavagrahi Janarda, because <clears throat> he's the source of all living beings. All living beings rest in him. He sees their hearts. He, he sees their intention. He accepts their intention. Whatever bhava, whatever affection um, they bring um, to that, that's what he reciprocates with. Just as Krishna says uh, toward the end of the ninth canto, and also in the Bhagavatam as well, there's a, a, an identical verse in, in the Bhagavatam. Patram pushpam palantoyam yome bhakta prayachati. He says, if you offer me even something as simple as a leaf, a flower, fruit, or some water, I accept that if it's mixed with bhakti, if the offering is mixed with bhakti. If there's some bhakti there, I accept that. Because what we say sometimes we say, what do you what do you give to the person who has everything? The one thing they don't have, my heart. And if we can do that, well, then we've we've attained the goal of bhakti yoga, which is the sense, um, and this is particularly evident in the stage of prema, that I am Krishna's and Krishna is mine. The problem of ahanta and mamata that we see posed in the very first verse of the Bhagavad Gita, Mamaka Pandavascha, right? Dhritarashtra should know better. You'd think he would know better. But still, even though we've done all these things to try to avert this war, still he's, he holds, because of the, the influence of Duryodhana, especially, he holds on to this us and them mentality, Mamaka Pandavascha. But if we don't see us in them, if we, only, if we see this, this sense of identity, then we can act <clears throat> with detachment. <clears throat> so Krishna continues. One who works without attachment, describing his actions to, to Brahman is not tainted by evil, just as a lotus leaf is, is untouched by water. So now he's adding another element here. For, but first, you know, we, 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 we should understand that it's not I who is chasing these sense objects. It's the senses interacting with their objects driven by my corrupted mind. So then he says, even better is to understand that everything is, is directed by Brahma. Everything is directed by the absolute truth. Um, then we then we certainly can become uh, detached. Uh, our behavior isn't tainted by uh, um, evil any more than a lotus flower gets wet because a drop of water has fallen on it. Uh, because of the uh, way the lotus leaf is made up and the lotus petals as well, uh, the water stands on the lotus leaf, beat it up, uh, doesn't actually touch the lotus leaf. So um, it's the detachment, the sense of detachment, and how we'll see in the fifth chapter how to, de to, uh, to develop that, um, that detachment. So Krishna continues, 
Karma yogis act with the body, mind, intellect, and even the senses solely for the purpose of purification, having renounced attachment. A person disciplined in karma yoga, having renounced the fruit of action, attains. Uh, I apologize. I don't know what happened there, but <clears throat> I suddenly lost my connection and um, couldn't get back on for a couple minutes. And I don't know what that was about. I've got, I've got a, a what do you call it, a, a LAN and Wi-Fi. So I don't know how it is that I lost my good Wi-Fi routers right next door. So I don't know how it is I lost my connection, and consequently, I also lost my train of thought. <clears throat> trying to uh, um, take care of all that. Oh, so we were, <clears throat> anyway, more broadly, we were, I was talking about the, this attitude of detachment, that it's not, it's not I that's doing these things. It's my senses in, in, in the, uh, uh, my, my, my senses interacting with their objects um, or, um, it's the um, influence um, of the Supreme Lord. <clears throat> so <clears throat> in the 13th, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Uh, must, the clock must be ticking here because my voice is also failing. 
So in the 13th verse, Krishna says, mentally renouncing all actions, the embodied one happily resides within, with self-control within the city of nine gates, neither acting nor causing action to be performed. If the detachment is actually there, then there isn't any implication um, in karma. If, if just as, uh, well, here we have a, a, Arjuna is a soldier and he is uh, being enjoined by Krishna uh, to fight. And so we know that when we're in, uh, when, we, when we serve in the military, um, that because we're supposed to be doing this for a higher cause, for something bigger than ourselves engaged in fighting, that um, it, it's not sinful. Now, because most of us aren't warriors by nature, we find we, we may find war uh, traumatic. Um, the killing, the, the, the destruction, uh, or the seeing other people injured and, and killed ca causes a trauma, causes emotional trauma along with the phys any physical trauma that we might experience in war. <clears throat> and the, the emotional trauma is very hard to deal with. I mean, we still, what is it we hear? I think it's still something like 22 uh, veterans every day take their own lives um, because of depression uh, or post-traumatic stress disorder. And, um, but Krishna is telling Arjuna, this is a righteous fight. This is my fight. This fight I've ordained. And if you want to be peaceful, if you actually want to be happy, if you actually want the reputation that you said that you said earlier, you know, you want to be a good person, then you're going to step up, do your duty as a warrior, face face your duty as a warrior. Look it in the eye, just as I've had you look Bhishma and and Drona in the eye, because as we see what Krishna is telling Arjuna right off the bat. Your business here is killing your closest attachments. And your business will be uh, successful. Your life will be peaceful if you can successfully um, detach yourself from all those things that you're accustomed um, to being attached to. So here, uh, <clears throat> you know, Krishna's setting Arjuna up um, for further discussion of just how um, to, to behave in the world uh, without uh, without attachment. Okay, so we've come to the bottom of the hour and I'm gonna stop here and um, see if there uh, is any further discussion from anyone else. So we have a very intimate audience today so we can say anything we want. Nobody's listening. It's just us. Except it's also on Facebook, which means it's forever. Dandavats Maharaj. Dandavats. Um, you, you, you mentioned what uh, Sri Vishwanath said about the difference between eating and engaging in bhakti, and it is that you become satiated by, by eating. And I, I thought of this um, uh, anecdote that is told sometimes about Srila Shudamaraj, how the, the, the devotees were listening to him and the talk was over and they all said, we feel completely satisfied. And he was saying, oh, is that possible? <laughs> so, so I was wondering if you can comment on, on this in relation to the Bhakti Parish and Ubhavo verse. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> what we lose our appetite for is everything other than bhakti. Virakti ranyatracha. So just as when we're eating, we lose our, our appetite becomes sated and, and we don't need to eat anymore. But what we uh, lose our appetite for when we're engaged in bhakti is everything that's non-bhakti. Virakti ranyatracha, everything else. Um, so what uh, Srila Sridhar Maharaj was implying that, um, well, if the discourse was successful, then you should be hankering for yet more. How can you be, how can you be satisfied? How can you be full? 
Um, this should actually whet your appetite, sharpen your appetite um, for um, even uh, more harikata. Tushyanti charamanticha. This is um, where devotees find their satisfaction and, and their pleasure. But so he might have been reading that uh, we're completely satisfied as we're full. But wait, no, we have more courses to serve. And, um, and you'll, I think you'll like them as well. So I think he may have had something like that in mind with, um, when he made that remark. Oh, we're, we're, we're completely satisfied. We're perfectly satisfied. Oh, is it possible? Um, that's, that would be my take on that. Um, Thank as, you. As it was presented to me. We should be always eager for more. Yesterday, I had breakfast with two old friends of mine, um, well, friends of many of the devotees in the, in the Sangha, Drishta and Rudrani, who were visiting their daughter here in Honolulu. She just had a, 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 her daughter the other day, their first grandchild. And I was, we were sitting with them and, one, and, and, and another devotee. And somehow or other, we just got into talking about Bhagavatam verses, different Bhagavatam verses and different chapters of the Bhagavatam. And, and the pleasures that we found there. And then at the end, we just all looked at each other and said, wow, now that was a good breakfast. And, and, and we weren't done, but we felt, you know, that we felt that we had um, given the day a, a good start along with the, the rest of our sadhana, that uh, we had sat uh, with devotees and, and, and engaged in this uh, wonderful harikata, even though not deliberately. It's not that we thought, "Oh, I'm going to sit. I'm going to sit down. And I'm only going to talk about Krishna." It just happened, with because of good company. So we'll always be hungry for more. That's. Let me see. Where's oh, my iPad? Find just what Vishwanath says in his tikka there. Okay. It's just the way he says it is just um, so nice. To pardon me, please. I'm much better at uh, um, navigating analog books than I am at digital books. I'm still not good at this. So he says, "Just oh, it's really nice. It's really nice the way he says this." Similarly, for a person who eats, there is happiness, nourishment, and disappearance of hunger with each mouthful. As one takes a mouthful of rice, this happens. Just as a person who eats a little gets a little satisfaction, a little nourishment, and a little relief from hunger, so a person who worships the Lord a little with hearing and chanting gets a little experience of the Lord and a little detachment from material life. And just as a person who eats a lot gets full satisfaction, full nourishment, and full relief from hunger. So a person who worships the Lord fully, experiences the Lord fully, and becomes completely detached from material life. But though it is impossible to keep eating, by more worship of the Lord, one becomes more capable of worshiping. That is the difference. So it's just real, really sweet. Thank you. It's perfect. Thank you. Anything else before we um, adjourn for the week? Okay. As usual, I want to thank uh, Padmanabha Maharaj for engaging me like this. Um, it's a bit of a pinch because it's early morning for me. It's directly after uh, Mangalarati. And it's a time when I would usually be chanting japa and um, engaged in, uh, in serving my deities. Um, so I have to reorganize my morning. So it's a bit of a pinch, but I think that's what makes it good for me. Guru, Guru Maharaj sometimes says, uh, if you give and it doesn't pinch a little bit, then you need to, we need to stretch just a little bit. So this um, stretches me. And it's not a, a hardship, actually, because um, of such good company. 
Um, and I'm grateful to um, Sakirati and Shamananda for agreeing to host because I'm old and um, a little inept technologically, not terribly, but I, I don't have all this stuff figured out. And, um, and to the devotees who came um, to um, encourage me to engage in this. I, I'm very grateful to all of you. And I'll see you again. I will see you again next week. Thank you so much. Hare Krishna. Sripad Bhakti Abhay Ashram Maharaj Ki Jai. Bhaktivinda Ki Jai.